It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to radio episode 128 of the world-famous award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find movie reviews, all the back episodes, and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. The 2019 DC Black Film Festival takes place next week, August 15th through 17th, at the Miracle Theater and the Mayflower Hotel in Washington, D.C. I honestly, I can't believe it's around the corner, but it is. Grab those tickets now at dcbff.org. You can get more information, all that good stuff. So I'm continuing my run with interviews with filmmakers in the fest, and today you'll hear from director Niasha, attendee of the film Moving On, Diem Bogu of the film Doll and director Justin Fairweather of the film Dog Person. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hi, everybody. This is Seth Gadsden from the Integrate Film Fest, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and the day of his dad's funeral, Steve receives a phone call. Harry's Diner, 9 p.m. Apparently, things aren't as simple as they seem. If you like that tagline, you can check out the film Moving On at 12.14 p.m. during the Wait What film block at the D.C. Black Film Festival. I have the film's writer-director, Niyasha Hatindi, on the line. Niyasha, welcome to Picture Lock. Hey, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely to chat to you. (laughs) It's great chatting with you as well. Niyasha, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Um, God, you know, um, I think it was when I was, it was Spielberg. It must have been Spielberg. I don't know when it had, it must have been like E.T. I think that was the first time that I kind of got completely and utterly engrossed by, by cinema. I just remember thinking about it. So I have those, it's one of those things where you think back to the time that you were a kid and you have this sort of like intensely nostalgic experience. And I think it was walking out after E.T. and realizing that my, entire life had changed so i think that's probably when it happens i i love that answer i could definitely see how et would do it for you side we're gonna step out of the interview for a second do you did you go to like universal studios when you were a kid no no i didn't i wasn't allowed to as a kid actually i was my my parents were a little strict like that so like uh you can that was i think that's probably wise because i used to have a very sort of like restrictive sort of childhood so things like et were those like these special sort of childhood moments that i remember i never i never did i never got to do the universal thing unfortunately gotcha gotcha all right well we'll get back to it but i, de- I definitely remember like they had this et ride and um it was like you were on like the bike and then you know you go up and in, in the moon and all that kind of stuff but the, oh. yeah 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 <laughs> but i'm getting giddy thinking about that i was, I was like do they still do it <laughs> exactly exactly can they go back to it they had back to the future too but for me like i, I just remember like I, wow i saw the film and now i'm like doing the ride and like just the impact that film has on culture yeah but you yeah, know what? Yeah. Let's jump back into you. Um, if you could give us a little history lesson, how would you go from the kid loving ET uh, to the man that is now, you know, writer director of Moving On? How did you break into the industry? Um, well, it was. Um, I don't know if I've actually broken in. I mean, Moving On is actually my very first 
film as a as a writer and a director. Um, um, before that, I, I'm an actor mainly by um, by trade, and I've been acting since uh, for about 15 years now. And um, um, but I've always kind of had this thing about um, uh, writing and directing, and I used to love uh, telling stories. Um, I used to do that as a kid. I used to play around, sort of direct plays with my little brother and sister and stuff. It was just one of those things. I, I was a bit of a control freak. So. Um, I kind of put them through the ringer and told them to do stuff and sort of found that I really enjoyed doing it. I also just really enjoyed storytelling. So my way in was then through acting. I found that I had a, had a thing about being on stage and, and sort of I, I, I enjoyed it. I didn't, it, it wasn't something that I was frightened of um, when it came to acting. I used to play piano a lot and do sort of concerts and stuff and that used to freak me out. I just, I could never handle it the anxiety was just too intense but with acting it just uh, sort of disappeared and i and i actually really enjoyed it so um um the older i got uh and the more i sort of realized i had to take my life seriously i kind of realized the only thing i'd probably like to do um would be to act and so i, I went to drama school um studied that pretty um intensively in london and um and throughout that experience, I, I kind of, every time I thought of a piece of theater or when I was thinking of a role, um, I wouldn't think of just my role. I'd think of it in the context of the story that was being told, the impact that that story was having on the society. And, and so gradually I became more and more um, obsessed with the idea of um, direction um, as well as acting. And I used to actively seek to work with directors that I admired and, so I got this real, really great apprenticeship of working with these great theatre directors for some time, and then went broke into film and television, and um, and then, uh, long story short, um, I got a series here um, that was being directed by Jason Reitman, who was one of my favourite, um, one of my favourite directors actually. He has a, he has an empathy that I've always that's always really appealed to me. And um, so working with him uh, and having a series, which is for me like a huge break, and you know, finally are actually earning enough money to survive, which um, <laughs> it was very welcome. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so, um, so I decided I, I, I made um, uh, I made a pact to myself. I said I'd put that money aside um, and spend it on a, uh, to make a short. Um, and so I saved that money and um was waiting for the right moment um i had uh, had some ideas for a short and then uh tragedy struck when my father passed away and um and um when when you experience something so life changing you kind of want to uh to record it there's this fear that you're going to lose the uh touch with the person that you loved in this case it was my dad and and, and one way of processing that was was writing something and and that thing turned out for me to be a script um which kind of tracked my experience of that moment and and um and the more i worked on the script the more um i realized this was something i wanted to tell it not i didn't want it to just be a script i wanted it to be something that i could share with an audience and um and that's why i i ended up making it into a film um and also because it was, you know, making a film, writing and directing a film was something that I'd always dreamt of doing. And I thought if there was any way to honor my father and create something permanent, um, a short film would be, you know, a step towards that. Um, and, um, and, and yeah, and that's, that's how I broke in. And then I, um, 
ended up gathering together a crew of people that I'd worked with for a number of years who were in the crew of uh, Casual, who were really great uh, DPs and sound mixes and a whole group of people that had become family pretty much. And um, they all kind of felt the same thing about the script that I've written. And before you knew it, um, we were we were in a diner in the middle of Burbank filming for two nights over a weekend. And um, and then and that is what became moving on. And that's how I broke in. Um, and and that's yeah, that's my first step. That's my first first film. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the writer-director of Moving On, Niasha Hatindi. Niasha, I mean, the thing that I, I really appreciate about everything that you just shared is how you took tragedy and turned it into art. And so, you know, you've kind of given us what the film, you know, the origin story of the film. Uh, but one, one of the things that I'm interested in is, you know, there's many stories in, in film that have been told in shorts even in which, you know, the main character loses a, a loved one or a parent. Um, but why did you decide to tell the story in kind of the surrealist way that you did here? Um, because um, it was the most accurate way I could find to describe the wealth of emotions and uh it's it's very confusing when these things happen, and I specifically wanted to. Uh, I, the reason why I thought film would be a great medium to use is because you have so many different tools to create that experience for an audience. So um, the surrealism was reflective of the surrealism that I experienced when it happened, and and I, I wanted to kind of put an audience in through that experience. I wanted to. You know, make you know, you know, the idea of putting music in it that that seems nostalgic, and suddenly the lyrics seem suddenly specific. Um, there's some, something very surreal about that. You know, when you're walking down the street and you hear a tune, and you know, suddenly it's, it's reflecting exactly what you're thinking. If you're going through like uh, a highly emotional moment, you know, that tends to happen. You know, things suddenly become achingly specific, and and that in itself is surreal. So uh, that's what I was trying. I was trying to recreate that. Um, experience for for an audience the, the same experience that i had that surreal sort of um uh overwhelming um discombobulating um angry fearful um just confusing time that's that's what i wanted to create for audience because i experienced that yeah and you know kind of as we get close to wrapping out here i, I think a great follow-up question would be how has the audience reception to the film been thus far, especially, you know, I'm sure with a film like this, there are people that come up to you afterwards and, you know, just either a thank you or just say how much they could relate to, to the character. Um, what's the audience reception been like? Uh, well, you know what? I haven't actually, um, I haven't actually, well, I've had one interaction with an audience, um, and I'll confess, I got freaked out. I didn't. I actually didn't stick around for afterwards. It was just such a vulnerable thing for me. I just, I just scarped. I sort of ran. <laughs> I didn't really want to stay around to um, experience the audience's reaction. <laughs> really, Niasha, I've, yeah, I have not. I've never had that answer answer before. That I mean, I pre I definitely appreciate you being real about it. But wow, usually like you know, directors want to know and want to hear what the audience thinks, or you know, want. <laughs> that's all. That's yeah. Awesome. 
Well, let me, let me, let me, okay, let me, let me explain. So the very first time I, uh, I, I showed it to an audience was at the, uh, the Cinequest Film Festival in San Jose. And um, it was the very first time I'd actually shared my work as a writer and director with anyone, um, and including myself. And, and so I was just so tender from that experience. You, the thing is you realize there's all these mistakes and you, you sort of hate yourself for, for having made them. And when you expose them to the world, it becomes very vulnerable. And then, so, but anyway, I, that, that, was the, that was the first time. And the second time it was shown was at the LA Shorts International Film Fest. And I couldn't do it because I was on an acting job in London. So I, my, my lead actor, Elvis, he had to uh, experience it for me. And I got a couple of texts from some friends saying it was um, visually unique and they, they really appreciated it. And But I haven't actually been with an audience um, and experienced their reaction. I have them express it to me in any way. Um, so, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll be the DC Black Film Fest where I um, stick around for the first time and get a, get a, get a real reel on what, what, what's what as far as the audience is concerned. <laughs> Most <laughs> definitely. I think you got to do that. Again, folks, you can check out the film at 12.14 p.m. during the Wait What Film Block. It's moving on. I'm talking with it, the writer-director, Niasha Hatendi. Niasha, if you could, uh, how can folks follow you online, keep up with you, the film, etc.? Main account. I'm not a very good social media sort of type guy, and uh, but I do have a Twitter account for my short film, and you can get us at uh, at film moving uh, on Twitter, and um, and then you use the hashtag moving on short film. And um, if you look it up, if you Google moving on short film, um, a short film about grief, I think is that is the name that I've called it because there's a lot of films called moving on some for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but if you you Google that, uh, there's a film freeway website that you can click onto. It's a 360 website, and you can you can check out details about film and see some some clips and some bios about me and the and the actors involved, and um, yeah, and catch up with it. Niasha, I appreciate you coming on the show to talk, man. It's been fun. Yeah, same here. Man. Appreciate it. Many independent filmmakers find themselves in the difficult position of not only bringing their film into fruition, but getting it in front of the public to be seen on their own as well. So how do you build a community and develop a marketing strategy for your film when you are the PR and marketing team? Based on years of experience, filmmaker, film critic, film publicist, and festival director Kevin Sampson offers practical advice in Army of One, PR and marketing for the indie filmmaker. Taking readers through best practices in setting up your film to engage the public and market it from pre-production to post-production. Find out how to start building your community and create sustained engagement in pre-production. Develop and administer a social media marketing strategy that you can keep up with by yourself. Create and assemble behind-the-scenes media through the stages of production to use with your film's marketing. Attract film critics to review your work through your website, email, and in-person interactions. Navigate the film festival circuit in a way that doesn't break the bank. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by the do-it-yourself nature of independent filmmaking, this book is for you. Available now on Amazon. Hi everyone, this is Mayori Carmel Holmes and I'm the founder and director of the Black Star Film Festival and you're listening to Picture Lock.
It's Picture Lock, I'm Kevin Sampson, and based on a true story, two lives collide when cousins Lena and Kenneth find themselves alone in a car after 20 years of silence between the rapist and the victim in the film Doll. I have the film's writer, director, producer, and star on the line with me, DM Camille Bogu. DM, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> well, DM, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Well, actually, um, I came to Denmark from Ivory Coast when I was five, and I just started watching these Western movies very quickly, these very super American Western movies. Um, and I just fell in love with the whole concept of of the characters and the communication like how they spoke and that's always been like a passion of mine how we speak to people um and so i also used that for the film and i remember when i was 10 i told my uh, my mom that i wanted to be an actress and she was like yeah it's fine you know everybody wants to become an actress a princess whatever and i just i couldn't let that thought go so after my bachelor my undergraduate, I just, you know, kind of propelled myself into filmmaking and I became an extra for lots of productions and worked myself up. Uh, I, I did some production assisting and producing and acting and all kinds of coordination work. And people started to, you know, see my, my skills and my what I wanted to do and my accomplishments. And then I just you know, started to get some, some roles. And, and suddenly I just, I think last year, I was like, why don't I make my own films? You know, I can get my own vision out there instead of always going to these auditions and castings. And I want to make something for myself mm. um, and build, you know, um, yeah, I don't want to be the common working woman, I want to have my own business um, and be like a you know, kind of smash down the glass ceiling for especially African uh, women. Um, so, yeah, then I just wrote this uh, this screenplay and I actually used it for an audition at a theater school in Denmark. And I got to the second audition where I was told the text was really good. I didn't get in. <laughs> But that kind of launched me into making my own films because I was like, even though I didn't get in, I should use this as an opportunity to start something for myself. And so I just, I did that two weeks later. We shot it in an hour and I had my film. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, folks, if you're listening, uh, the film is going to be playing during the Smiles and Tears film block Friday, August 16th at 3.16 p.m. during the D.C. Black Film Festival at the Miracle Theater. And, uh, DM, you kind of went ahead and hit up, you know, how you got into the industry. So let's go ahead and jump into Doll. In your own words, what is the film about? Um, as you said very well, it's this confrontation between an African woman uh, and her rapists after 20 years of silence. And for me, the movie is about it's about it's about trust and the lack of it and the fall of your hero in some sense. And it's about feeling powerless and regaining your own power through that powerlessness. And it's also about taking back after a personal and intimate robbery of your innocence, your childhood and your womanhood, because because for me, you should be able to 
choose for yourself when you want to get rid of your toys and be a woman and not have someone steal that freedom and that right. And that's what the character feels like. She feels neglected and she feels this robbery on her character. Yeah, you know, I think that unfortunately this is a common occurrence. Um, you know, I think everyone in in their family um, there's got to be someone that, you know, you're just like one degree separated from probably something like this happening. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, it, as you said, it's it based on a, a true story. One of the things that I wanted to go back to that you said uh, in the beginning, just in regard to um, when you first fell in love with film and you, you said that you really enjoy um, how we speak with one another. And I think that this film actually kind of addresses not only how we speak to each other, but how we don't. And uh, so I was wondering, you know, uh, kind of the lack of communication, some of the silence um, that goes on between Mm -hmm. the characters, uh, if that played into the story that you wanted to tell as well. Definitely, because I've been in the situation before where I'm actually in a car right next to my rapist and my former hero. And I just remember that there was so much awkward silence and he was like super chill and nothing happened we were you know it's fine and kind of suppressing everything and for me i was feeling the awkwardness and the anxiety it's basically anxiety and that's what um that's why i produced the silent pauses like um and for me the lack of communication sometimes is stronger than just you know talking and talking in a dialogue um, I like when it's when there's so much subtext in silence and there's tension and you just you want to keep watching because you you need the ending of this. What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, will, will will she say the words kind of? I mean, will she ask why he did that? Why her? And she does. Um, she she does confront him because she has to. It has to stop, you know. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about artists and creatives, filmmakers, one of the things I think that we do is uh, in a healthy way, (laughs) rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, attacking someone or, you know, killing them in real life. Right. We we can kind of do that in in fiction on the big screen. Right. We can kind of like let go of something. And so I, I really appreciate your honesty and vulnerability in this conversation. Um, but I wanted to know if uh, the film, if Doll has been like that for you, where you're kind of, as you said, you, you know, this is something that will never ever, you know, leave you obviously, but if Doll was in such, uh, in a small way, uh, an ability to kind of uh, bury a, an old ghost, I mean, it was definitely, it was more like a therapeutic journey for me um, where I could be able to work with my own trauma without suppressing what happened. I mean, I don't ever think that you should, um, you know, like forget things like that. You can forgive what happened and be like, this is something that happened. I need to evolve. I need to be bigger than what happened to me. And for me, that's what I did with Doll. I worked throughout my trauma and and I feel like I got stronger doing that because for me, it was like it was time because I've been burying this and I it's not healthy at all to bury these emotions. It has to come out. And I found a creative way to get it out. Um, and that's also why I felt it was necessary for me to play the character 
myself and not hire another actress um, because I wanted to to work with with me and the character. <laughs> right. right. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely therapeutic. It was really hard, but it was it was worth it. And hard things are usually worth it. So <laughs> that's very true. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I'm talking to the inspirational force behind the short film Doll, writer, director, producer and star DM Bogu. Uh, DM, I guess, kind of kind of closing out here. Um, one of the things I really uh, love about the short is the cinematography within it. The time in which it takes place is one of those like cool, it, it wasn't the golden hour, but it looks like it's actually kind of like the sun is kind of rising. I don't know what, what time was it, but then also just talk a little bit about your cinematography and how you wanted that to also play into the storytelling. Well, actually, the cinematography is partly um, choices made by me and the DOP, but also the time itself. <laughs> it was like a Mission Impossible movie because we literally felt like it was a sunset. It was like 7 p.m. in Denmark, and we had the sun, and God, <laughs> we felt like um, the weather against us. <laughs> and so we really had to be quick. And I was like, we have to get the sunset because it's such a symbol for something ending. And in a beautiful way, I like to um, I like to put something ugly with beautiful surroundings because it is dark, um, the, the, the subject, the topic of the movie. But I wanted it to be kind of with this beautiful atmosphere outside and the fact that she is a beautiful person, even though that she's lashing out, you know, uh, and getting her power back. And there's so much power in, you know, this glory of a sunset. Um, so for me, it was very important to shoot it at sunset. And also, we only had an hour before the sun was all the way down. So it was like, oh, God, it was so stressful. And suddenly, my DOP was like, okay, we can't shoot anymore because then I won't be able to color grade it right. And I was like, can we just do one more? Nope, it's too dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, man, well, I'll go home. <laughs> right, right. And that happens sometimes. But, you know, I think you got what you needed. Uh, again, folks, you yeah. can check out Doll at the DC Black Film Festival. DM, if you could, let folks know how they can follow you on social media, keep up with the film. Well, I have my own account, uh, my business account, DM Camille, straight up, um, on my Instagram. Just DM Camille in one word. Awesome. Go follow. Check it out. <laughs> we'll meet in my DM with DM. No, <laughs> you know, that's actually kind of a cool catchphrase. Get, catch DM in my in the yeah. DMs. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like it. All right. But only in a friendly way. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, once again, I've been talking with the writer, director, producer of the film Doll, DM Bogu. DM, thanks so much for coming on Picture Lot. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. This is Melinda James, director, cinematographer of Oklahoma is Black, and you are listening to Picture Lot. It's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. And when a pet sitter goes to a house expecting to watch a dog, but instead is greeted by a haunting man who believes himself to be a canine, the sitter must unravel the dark secrets surrounding the man and his owner, survive a day of oddities, and 
all in the name of providing for her economically vulnerable family in the film Dog Person. I have the film's writer-director, Justin Fairweather, on the line. Justin, welcome to Picture Lock. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Justin, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Ever since I was very young, I, I, I had a fascination with everything to do with entertainment and the arts and anything that involved channeling creative energy into something worthwhile. And I think for me, it was seeing behind the scenes of numerous films and things like that and, and seeing that behind every story that, that, that captivated people and behind every story that took you away to somewhere else, there was a group of people who worked through the logistics of that, you know, who, who came together and really thought about making a singular idea together and that process really fascinated me and that's something that always stuck with me and something that I'm ultimately pursuing for myself and that I've taken great satisfaction in doing. You know, this is really interesting. I got to say, what was that first film that, you know, you saw and you were just captivated by? Okay. um, Well, it's been a lot of things. Uh, Very, very young, six, I think, uh, um, showing off a little bit of my nerd side, I guess. Uh, The original Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, actually, they were very, they, 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 just being straight up, I mean, they, they were full of wonder. They were kind of earnest, but like in the center of that, there was like a real human heartbeat. And uh-huh. that's something I really appreciated. And in many respects, you can contribute Raimi for like kind of kickstarting the overall mainstream fascination with superhero films, I'd say. But outside of that, as I was growing older, David Fincher has been a director that I've really taken to he has a really palpable style and grit to his films and really kind of interesting offbeat characters that I've really kind of gravitated towards as well and I feel like I I bring some of that to to almost every bit of work that I that I do I'd say so most definitely and uh I had to ask that question it was more of a Mm -hmm. selfish uh Uh ask because Dog person is honestly that when I when I when I saw dog person, I immediately was like, wait, what? And then I was just like, that's going (laughs) to be the film block for this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, if you could, uh, before we get into dog person, uh, how did you kind of like get into the industry? Obviously, you recently graduated, but, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, take us from, you know, the kid that was watching Sam Raimi films to now. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, Okay, Um, so the thing that I've kept hearing about directing is that if you want to direct, you have to direct, and that's something that I've, you know, uh, tried to do. Um, So I recently graduated from Towson University last year for uh, filmmaking. Um, so So from high school, I was a media production class making things, and then in college I was, you know, experimenting and making things in school. And um, Dog Person was actually born out of my senior thesis. It was the last big film project I committed myself to doing. Um, So the goal there was to make something that could stand on its own legs outside of school in in like a festival environment. And I've I've, uh, been able to do that, which I'm very satisfied with. Um, But so ever since graduating last year, uh, it's all about coming out with new things even outside of a school environment and really embracing a professional filmmaker life. Um, so yeah, so dog person was 
the thesis and now I've just continually tried to write things and then go out and shoot them and, and keep putting out quality products. Ladies and gentlemen, I am talking with the writer-director of Dog Person. It's kicking off the Wait What Film Block at the D.C. Black Film Festival at 11.45 a.m. Friday, August 16th at the Miracle Theater. Uh, Justin, let's go ahead and in your own words, what is Dog Person all about? And I don't want the the log line synopsis that I read up at the top, but I want to (laughs) know, like, from the director, what is this film about? Well, uh... The logline says it all, really. It's a, it's a good setup, if I, if I do say so myself. It's uh, Maya. She's a, uh, she's a pet sitter, um, very welcoming person. She walks into this guy's house, and the dog turns the corner, and it's a creepy man crawling across the ground on all fours. Um, and so she's taken aback by this, but she has to do this for, for the sake of her family, who you find out is kind of in a bit of a struggle. And you find that that's her most like important value is providing for her family. Even when there's this creepy dude who behaves like a dog. <clears throat> um, and uh, it's kind of about her kind of unraveling the intricacies of this relationship that, uh, between the owner and the dog. You know, I was hoping to get, um, I don't know. I was hoping to get a weird answer. <laughs> And I only say that because uh, Dog Person is such a, a fascinating uh, watch, right? Because okay. even from the poster, like, you, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a human being that's, like, on all fours and all mm-hmm. that good stuff. But honestly, right. uh, when I first watched it, um, you know, I was really literally expecting, you know, this dog to come around the corner. I hadn't seen a poster or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, your, your actress is just... A, awesome in this right uh jordana hernandez hernandez yeah and she takes you can tell she takes a moment and really kind of thinks and ponders ruminates on like what's happening right now but then you mm-hmm. see this switch in which she's like okay but i'm still gonna do this and so <laughs> I, I think one of the things that I'd love to know is, you know, in, in regard to bringing your actors in on this, like you were talking about in the mm-hmm. beginning of the interview, just like this singular uh, purpose, you know, mm-hmm. what attracted them to the role and how, how, what was it like? What was it like on set? Because literally like your actor is in his underwear and then he gets down on all fours. <laughs> that had to be funny. But like, but the thing is like, because you guys take this seriously, we take it seriously, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's so great about it. Yeah, uh, so one of the things I try to bring to every project is doing something completely outside of the box, um, but still tethered in a emotional reality, I'd say. Um, and I think, I would like to think that everybody who came on board kind of wanted to do something like that. Something that was so weird and outlandish, but still had a heart, you know, underneath all of that, um, that still had human stuff in the center of it. Um, so for Jordana, I spoke to Jordana a lot and for her, she, she saw a lot of herself in the role of Maya. Like it related, she found a lot of it relatable to where she was in her life when we filmed that. And, um, and I think with Sean McCullough who portrayed Lucky, um, our conversations, he was always trying to nail the kind of the physicality of the role. So I think, Lucky is, must have been an, uh, like an incredibly daunting role to play. It's so out there. But it, for someone like Sean, who's game for, for anything, really, it, it's, it's something that um, can provide a lot of 
exciting opportunities for an actor to kind of do. Um, so I think on, on Jordana's side, it was more of an emotional connection to the character. And for Sean, maybe kind of just like a, a chance to do something completely out there and, and push himself in, in, a, in an actor's uh, space. Most definitely. And, you know, as we kind of wrap out here, you talked about Fincher and his work. And one of the things about Fincher mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. the cinematography all is always stand out. And I think uh, here yeah. in Dog Person, the cinematography mm -hmm. really uh, is in many ways just another character that uh, helps okay. to bring us into the story. Could you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about your cinematography and uh, the thoughts behind uh, how you lit this film? For sure. So our cinematographer was Devin McLaughlin. Shouts out to him. He did a phenomenal job. Um, I think a lot of uh, me and him both had the same kind of thought process going into it. Um, I definitely, when creating like the mood board and things like that, we did look heavily to Fincher. In fact, like my pitch, my pitch deck to the class, you know, to make this film were all photos from essentially Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and things of that nature. And specifically, I feel like the heaviest Fincher aesthetic um, kind of homages come towards the nighttime scenes where everything kind of has that Fincher look when he <laughs> shoots his stuff at night. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, I think his Fincher's films and, and, and the cinematographers that he employs, there's such a, like, a, like I was saying earlier, like such a sense of mood and it kind of really was something I always latch onto whenever I watch his films. And I felt like for this piece, like I, I definitely wanted to evoke that in, in 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 whichever way that I could, and I think Devin absolutely nailed that. Most definitely, and evoke that you did. I'm talking with Justin Fairweather. He is the writer director of Dog Person, which will be playing at the DC Black Film Festival. Justin, if folks wanted mm -hmm. to find out more about you, the film, how can they do that online mm -hmm. or social media? For sure. Uh, so we have a Facebook page. It's a dog person movie, facebook.com slash dog person movie. I have a Instagram, a Fairweather film. So my at is a Fairweather, F-A-I-R, weather like the sky. Um, YouTube channel by the name Justin Fairweather. Um, I also have a website that I'm putting out, say tomorrow. I'm putting it out tomorrow, Kevin. <laughs> uh, JustinFairweatherFilm.com. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was, uh, it's, a, it's a site I made recently and I was ready to drop it and I think it's a good time to drop it now and that it has links to all my work and links to information about me and um, yeah, so justinfairweatherfilm.com, afairweatherfilm for Instagram, facebook.com slash dogpersonmovie, um, you could find everything you need all, all along those links. Sounds good. Uh, you can also listen to Johnny Gill's Fairweather Friend, uh, where I'm sure he was talking about Justin. <laughs> Justin, thanks for coming on Picture Lock. Thanks a lot, Kevin. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Niasha Hatendi, DM Bogu, and Justin Fairweather for coming on the show. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast, so you can hear the extended radio versions of the show. Catch unlocked episodes, which I'm putting out a ton for DC Black Film Festival, and the Picture Lock BR after show. You don't want to miss the after show conversation I had with Niasha, and I'll be dropping that Monday. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say Alexa, play Picture Lock Podcast, and I come right up. 
Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. You're supporting the filmmakers and guests I have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast. It's quick, it's easy, it's free, and I really appreciate it. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picture lock show and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by Mike S, the producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S, the producer numeral one, numeral three, and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson. And until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.